Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are. I hope this podcast finds you happy and healthy. Welcome to episode 18 of Stemming from Africa. My name is Cynthia Oleola. So I have had an eventful week. I think the whole world has had an eventful week, but I've had, you know, those weeks where it's Monday and then it's Friday. That's that's what's happened. And I can't really tell you what what happened in the middle. It's kind of just a blur. I had a bit going on. Um, but also, I, I don't know, I think I'm just having one of those periods in my life where I'm kind of, you know, when you have that sensation, when it feels like you're observing your life from outside, it's like you're just watching things pass by. That That's what's happening. Um, yeah, I hope you guys are having a better week than me. I'm editing this podcast at midnight. I usually edit it the day before, but I had to go to work and then I came home late. And so this is the time I'm editing it. I'll probably be up all night, but kind of used to that now. Yeah. So highlights of the week, Beyonce. I think I've talked about how I love Beyonce so much. I'm like a proper Beyonce stan. She could do no wrong. Uh, but yeah, her latest performance at the Oscars. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love Beyonce so much. It's like an obsession. It's like a, yeah, it is an obsession. But I think it's a well-founded obsession. The thing I love about her, among many other things, is her work ethic. Like you guys, this woman puts in the work to be the person she is, you know. So just seeing her do be alive and seeing the amount of work she's put into it. I always feel like when I watch a Beyonce documentary or when I watch a video, I feel like I pick so much inspiration from them. Like, okay, okay, you can you can do it. Like this woman, you know, is doing everything. You can do it. Do your best and just try to be a, a, the, the, the best that you can be. Um, I'm going to go on a little Beyonce moment here. But in the Homecoming documentary, she talks about how, I think it's Homecoming. Yeah, she talks about how like practicing and rehearsing is not pretty you have to be willing to look ugly you have to be willing to look foolish so that you can get to the place where you are perfect or something to that extent but i take that a lot with me because everything nowadays in my life seems like i'm growing and so i find myself very often feeling stupid or unknowledgeable and having to remind myself that the will to learn something is good and it means that you're in some places you're starting from zero or not as high and so you might look foolish sometimes but it's the effort that counts so yes beyonce is my highlight of the week love her if you don't love her that sucks for you so sorry (laughs) um so thoughts for the week where to start i'm going to try to not rant so much about this uh but yeah okay here we go so uh yesterday or the day before yesterday when you listen to this there was a report in one of the newspapers in kenya if you don't live in kenya about burning of bottles now obviously i am a recent mother new mother and this was really important to me but more than that I'm a doctor who deals with children a lot. So I come across children who are breastfed, bottle-fed, formula, expressed milk, cow milk, whatever, you know. And 
the the reporting was inaccurate in that they said that bottles had been burned so obviously the internet was ablaze like <laughs> all my mommy groups were just on fire everybody was yelling at the top of their lungs and i did too because this is from what you would assume a trusted source in kenya although i use the word trusted very loosely anyway it came out that the report was inaccurate so i actually went to read the bill and was in conversation with other doctors who work in the public and global health space and work in policy and decision making a lot of people in that space still including myself still think that the way the bill is formulated is still harmful because i think the aim not i think the aim of the bill was to encourage breastfeeding because breastfeeding has obvious um benefits to the child and so the slogan is breast is best i've spoken before how on the podcast i've spoken before on the podcast how when i had my child i didn't have milk the first couple of days and so my baby had to go on formula and i fought it so hard the only reason i gave in is because i have worked with children who have gone into um acute kidney failure because they were not getting enough fluid and so they got dehydrated yeah but the thing is is you can't legislate everything you need to actually deal with the root cause of things so if you want to encourage breastfeeding maybe give mothers maternity leave that's longer than what it is now i mean in other countries they have maternity leave of up to a year and here it's 3 months if you even get that in most places if you even get it a lot of mothers don't get maternity leave a lot of mothers do not have the the even the space to be able to take maternity leave because they're not in formal employment so poverty is a thing here and instead of dealing with the root causes we think that we can just regulate and legislate everything and things will suddenly get better on top of that some of the reasons that they gave were that this plastic in in bottles which a lot of bottles are bpa free but then the alternative to the bottles is cup and spoon which aren't those also plastic like some of the reasoning behind it was so basic and also just so poorly informed i just feel like we need to start dealing with the root cause of things we can't legislate things and just hope that magically change appears that's just it's just nev- never going to work so yeah that's something that really pissed me off this week um and then also on top of that a lot of the ways that that bill um is shaped is going to end up stigmatizing mothers who are not able to breastfeed for one reason or the other and that's very dangerous i've dealt with patients who came in in kidney failure because the mothers were told only breastfeed only breast milk so if mom is not able to breastfeed she has no other way to go about it so mom doesn't have milk um she has been told only breast milk no alternative no more information nothing 
And so these kids come in having not breastfed for two days, um, in septic and with kidney injury, and you're starting to deal with all these complications. And we're not giving mothers enough education to make an informed decision and to actually involve them in proper practices to help their babies. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is have better health for both the mother and the child. And health is not just physical. It's the mental well-being of the mother and the baby and Anyone who has breastfed can tell you that if mentally you're not okay, you're not going to have milk. And then it leads to more stress. And then you have even less milk. It's a vicious cycle. So instead of legislating things and leading to more stigma for mothers who for one reason or the other cannot breastfeed, maybe if we invested in education and making sure that mothers have enough education to make decisions, Maybe if we came up with policies around maternity leave, maybe if we improved the economy, how about that? Maybe if we made it so that life is more affordable and mothers do not have to go back to work one week after giving birth and having to leave someone to breastfeed. Maybe if we had less stigma. My doctor, when I could not breastfeed initially, when I had my child, I had a breakdown because I had to give my child formula and, you know, everybody tells you breast milk is, is best. And even I was of that mentality where breast is best. So when I couldn't get milk and my baby had to be put on formula, I remember I had a proper breakdown. And I remember my doctor telling me, you know, fed is best. And even the pediatrician said, fed is best. And for me, that's the principle I go with now. Fed is best because there are many reasons why mothers cannot breastfeed. And instead of judging them and stigmatizing them, maybe if we were more accommodating, if we had more empathy, if healthcare workers had more education so that they could educate their patients more, maybe that's a better way to go about it. You can't legislate away things or legislate breastfeeding. It just doesn't work that way. I just wish that we could get more public participation in these things. It's annoying and frustrating. As a healthcare worker, as a mother, as somebody who cares about mothers and children, it's very frustrating. But yeah, that's my little rant on that. Um, moving on to this week's episode, I'm so excited so excited for this episode because this one features somebody I have been low-key stalking on the internet and really, really wanted to invite her on the podcast. So imagine my surprise and joy when she approached me first. I was so happy, you guys. Like, I really enjoyed speaking to, to Akweli, who is this week's guest. She is an engineer and very invested in the energy sector. And I just had the best time talking to her. We literally spoke about everything, or well, most things. But it was really a pleasure speaking to her. And she's so insightful and just so fun to talk to. And she just left me, you know, with a lot to think about. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And I'll see you on the other side. 
My name is Wakoli. I am, um, <laughs> my parents use this word to taunt me, but I will use it. I will reclaim it. I'm a lifeist. I enjoy life very much. I try to, um, not to say things aren't like bad or bad things are not happening, but it is the idea that I find life in and of itself a very spectacular experience almost daily. And so I like fiction. I enjoy music very much. I used to be a musician as my first paying job for about a year or two. Um, I write, and I guess the reason I'm on this podcast is that mostly I work as an African woman in engineering. And I guess we'll get a little bit into the details of that as we move forward. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, my first paying job was also in music uh, as a singer and as a Amazing. piano teacher. So yay, <laughs> yay to music. I like how you put it, life is, because life is to be enjoyed. My mom says that all the time. What area of engineering do you work in? So I'll start with what area of engineering I studied and how that got me to what I work in now because it's a fairly circuitous route, but I'll try and make it short. So I studied electrical engineering at the University of Nairobi for my first degree <laughs> almost 10 years ago now. Um, and then once that was done, I started by working in machines. And so I used to fix trains <laughs> for my first actual job. Yeah, so I used to be those cool people who worked like an ambulance for trains, which is when a train is stuck on the road, I used to fix the mechanical and electrical parts as part of a team called Rolling Stock that used to maintain um, trains, especially cargo trains for a now defunct company, but then was called Rift Valley Railways. They were running the government cargo trains at the time. And so I did that for a year. And because I grew up in Nairobi and sort of really never had used the train before, working in railways gave me an opportunity to go to a lot of places in Kenya where at least the train passes and it just caught my eye that there was such little <laughs> access for electricity in most of the places that I ended up working and so I decided while working in trains that hmm, this is an interesting problem that I think I should contribute towards solving because after all I did electrical engineering might as well make something of it huh so I decided to leave my job a job that I really enjoyed and a team I really liked working with and I was broke for a long time. Please don't do this if you're a listener. Don't do it. Poverty is not sexy. But um, I quit my job and I decided I want to work in the energy sector, but I didn't know what that actually meant. And so I started by doing what I know in the hope that I will find out what I don't know. And what I do know how to do is to read and write. I've always been an avid reader, mostly of fiction, but I do know how to like get a lot of information and like connect the dots through writing. And so I did that and wrote a blog, a 500 word article actually for a World Bank competition that then won miraculously. And that gave me my first opportunity to work in the energy sector because I, I wrote about how I think increasing access to electricity will help to accelerate you know, the push to end poverty in countries like ours. And so that, I guess the award from that article was for me to join a team that was actually doing a study in Kenya on areas that were unelectrified and how we could do that using decentralized systems that we call mini grids. So that was my first foray into the energy sector. And once that project was done, I moved to the one place that does, you know, electricity systems for a living. And so I worked at KPLC for three years. So it's just as well you had Sally on last week because Sally does a component of what I now do generally, which is called distribution systems. And so for listeners who are curious about that, what that is, just listen to Sally's episode. 
But basically, distribution systems form a component of the larger global system that I'm more interested in, which is called power systems. And so that is the interaction, I guess, between the generation of electricity, the transmission of the same, the distribution of it to homes like yours, but also how you use it as a consumer. And that's called demand side. And so in the course of my career, I've worked in each of those components <laughs> at a point or other. And right now, specifically, I work on the demand side, which is working on appliances and how we can make that more efficient um, in terms of how they use less electricity so that more people in general can use the same amount of electricity we have today instead of, you know, ramping up generation. How, how about we just use what we have better? And so now I work in appliance energy efficiency. I work mostly as a researcher at a nonprofit, and my primary role is to develop standards and labels for governments um, to allow them to control in their markets what kinds of appliances are sold and used in an attempt to stabilize their electricity network systems. How do you go about just quitting your job and leaving? The short answer, and I think, again, this is something people need to be more honest about, is privilege. So I am a last-born child um, with siblings who are eight years and six years older than me and uh, parents who are extremely supportive and they're both like university-educated parents. And so for the most part, going to school for me was a was a delight in the sense of it wasn't something we needed to do it was just something that satisfied my curiosity generally um i happened to be naturally very curious and i was really irritating my parents so they were happy to send me off to school but then what happened with that is because i guess i have a natural tendency towards curiosity i almost have unwavering support from the people who know me in the sense of when i say okay so this isn't working they just assume i have evaluated the variables and like it's it's not working so i, I get very little pushback in the sense of which risks i am willing to take and which ones i am not because i don't have a very high risk appetite and so what that means is by the time I was making the decision to walk away from a job that um, I liked to do and I had a team that was supportive and teaching me so much, one about life in general and about trains in specific, was the idea that I felt that was not the path for me. And though I did not know what was the path for me, I was quite sure that was not it. And so I came back home to answer your question. I was living in Eldoret. I was working in Eldoret. Uh, I was based there. And so I quit my job and my father came and helped me pack my things and I moved back home. And so I lived home with my parents for the, it was almost seven months that I didn't have a job. And so I got an allowance or a stipend from my parents in case I needed to print CVs to apply for jobs or I had internet at my parents' place that could allow me to research for my blog and, you know, put it up and attend World Bank events. And so in that way, I guess, my privilege is in the form of access. We were not wealthy, but I had a lot of access to information. And in that way, information, I leveraged that information to make, you know, a career out of it over time, I think. And so that's that's one of the things I think is really important about your podcast. Um, the idea of making information easily accessible to people about what options exist and those that do not, but also hopefully to try and get a little bit more insight or a little bit more honesty from the people who are perceived to be successful in society. I'm using air quotes deliberately, perceived to be successful in society in what other non-monetary privileges they had going for them, you know, before they became this thing that we admire. So, yeah. <laughs> 
that's how I just quit my job. I came back home. I have so many thoughts about what you've just said. So a <laughs> couple of them. Uh, <laughs> as somebody who is, uh, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, how I am figuring out my career and living. I am going to do this thing where I make it about me for a bit. So audience, forgive me. But I completely get where you're coming from because I... I was those people, I'm very cliche, I say this a lot, I'm very conformist, um, I'm a firstborn who followed rules, and I did exactly what was expected of me, which often, I'm going to say 90% of the time, maybe even 99, was what I wanted to do. So I studied, um, I was very good in school, um, good in sciences, except huh? physics, which kicked my ass, I cannot tell you enough. <laughs> kicked my ass thoroughly um electricity when, when we reached the, the the topic on electricity the wires in my head just couldn't do it so <laughs> okay <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't do it but anyway so i studied medicine nobody forced me it was what was almost expected but i i wanted to do medicine did medicine um and then Halfway through med school, discovered that maybe I didn't want to practice medicine, wanted to stay in healthcare, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to do to practice medicine. So, but I went ahead, finished, uh, worked in medicine, worked in ICU, loved it, but also felt that I that wasn't where I wanted to be. And so, like you, I went back to the people who are around me and I also am privileged to have that support. I went back, I told parents, my husband, I was like, guys, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm leaving. And so I went back to school and studied the masters and in global health came back. And I've been privileged enough to have the support where I'm not forced to do something I don't want to do. I'm able to explore different things. So this has been me working on in research and starting a podcast and now enrolling in a software engineering Amazing. course out of nowhere so yeah and so listening to you talk about it i'm able to recognize that yes i'm not rich uh, i wish i was because money so important is so but, important <laughs> but to be able to have people around you who are like you know what it's okay uh you do what you need to do to get where you want to get to. I don't understand it, but you know what you're doing. When I started this podcast, I was thinking some of these journeys are unconventional and some of the perceived careers that are, you know, high flying and everything, it's a perception. Quite ground. <laughs> Things are different. And also, even in those careers, having the space to explore is, is, is good and having the space to expand yourself in a completely diff different way from how you started is so important. So yes, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to have those conversations here because we have had people who started one way and are in a completely different way and everything. But um, what would you say so far has been your biggest achievement? This isn't something I, I think about often, but off the top of my head, I guess I would say, um, this might be cliche, but I would say staying recognizable. And what, what I mean by that is that I can 
the the version of me I think that existed when I was six, twelve, eighteen, I don't know, twenty four, and now thirty something, is is the same in many ways, but of course with much more experience <laughs> in other ways. And the reason I say that is because work is just one component of my life. As I as I led by saying I'm a lifeist, and so there's other things that to me are much more important. Um, than my job. I take my work seriously, but um, I take my life much more seriously. And so I think it's important to me, at least, that I have managed to maintain several healthy relationships with many of my friends that I've had since I was a kid. Um, I have pretty decent, you know, relationships with my family and my siblings. I really enjoy their company. Um, I like to think I am kind to most people that I meet and so my biggest achievement is in staying, I don't like the word grounded because it assumes there's any other way to be, um, <laughs> but in staying recognizable um, to the people who matter to me and specifically to myself, <laughs> and specifically to myself. And so the, the win there is that I have successfully managed to live with my choices for the last 32 years, and I intend to keep doing that for a few more. And the reason I phrase it like that is um, significantly, actually, because it's something you mentioned while you were speaking. People assume that people who are considered to be book smart <laughs> or perceived to be sharp don't struggle with choices, right? Um, you're, you're clever, so you should know the difference between right and wrong or like, Opportunities are falling at your feet. It's just between, you know, picking between those ones or like, here, you're clever, get a scholarship, go to school. But everything, good or bad, is a choice. And for many people, um, as, as you pointed out, much of their life is lived on the choices of society, not of, not of their own. And I... I've always been very strong-willed about that, largely because I'm really stubborn, but I also lived for a long time with people who are much older than me. And so I just got accustomed to advocating for myself because I was little. I was little and I wanted stuff to go my way sometimes. And so that working that muscle, I didn't realize it then, but I see it quite clearly now um, because it's feedback I get a lot from my friends, the idea that they think, because I, I think it's just a view for them, I don't actually believe that, but they think that I have such clarity when I make choices, when I decide why it is A, not B, and then go go in the direction of A immediately. And I think that's such an achievement for me in a world that inundates us with choices. I think it's such an achievement that I can live with the choices that I've made so far. And in many instances, I am proud of the choices that I have made. So that's my biggest achievement, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think there's such a it's such a push from the world to be just focused on money generation and this job, this job, this job, and your other your life is falling into pieces. So, yeah, I do. I I do. I use the word grounded, but now that you brought it up, I'm like, is there any other way to be? <laughs> but, but looking at how all spheres of your life go into to make this one person who is a happy and fulfilled person um, over and above everything else. Because again, this, this life is for the living. You know, you just can't be out here dying at your job. You mentioned choices and clarity of choices. And so in your career path, I wonder if there are any choices you've made that you would have done differently. Of course, because I am a human being. I make mistakes. That's that's just regular with with everyone. So, um, are there choices I made that I would have made differently? 
a lot of them in my mind circulate around advocating for myself earlier <laughs> for for some reason and and the reason i say that is because i i happen to be very like strong-willed and opinionated but i tend to just fix the thing myself as a and in my mind, I used to do that with the assumption that talking about this is taking too long and the thing is still not fixed. So let me just fix it. But but something that taught me that that doesn't actually then take into consideration the community that you leave thereafter, you know, like if you are trying to fix a thing, is when I quit my job, you know, for railways. So you, you had asked me, like, how do you just quit a job? So I'd spent so much time, you know, building a team and learning the skills and being like, you know, the best manager I could be at 24, where all my team was male and the average age was 45. I'd really like done a lot of work in trying to, you know, make work a place where both my team and I felt fulfilled and like, like were positive positively contributing towards the society. And then I left cold turkey, right? Um, I, I didn't give them a heads up or whatever. I just I was like, okay, they are not for me. And I left. And in retrospect, because I still stay in contact with most of the members of my team, and that was nine years ago. In retrospect, I realized that for many of them, it felt like abandonment. And that wasn't actually the, the it had nothing to do with them at all. But I didn't communicate that very clearly. Um, and because I didn't advocate for myself and then for them in that instance, I realize now that what I think sometimes are personal choices are choices that have a ripple effect on other people. And so what would I do differently, I guess, as a leader now, not just as an engineer, is the idea of like taking into account <laughs> all the multiple variables that move when you make a decision that you think is uniquely for yourself. Um, usually it, it impacts other people, whether positively or negatively. And sometimes, even if you're going to make that decision regardless, it just helps to communicate as much to the people who kind of suffer the direct consequence of you walking away, you know, if for, for lack of a better word. And so that for me was one of the primary reasons. And it's so funny. I haven't talked about this till this point that I started Queen Engineers, <laughs> which was, um, a publication it's free and it's online and so a friend of mine called marian and i came up with basically what is a photo album with words for female engineers in kenya because at the beginning of my career i used to um, volunteer as a mentor to go to secondary schools and try to convince people like yourself that physics isn't the worst thing in the world and uh, so with with limited success, but for the most part, because I guess I didn't come off as like the stereotypical straight shooting, you know, well put together physics person, um, I, I was a little bit more relatable to those young young students. But the thing that kept coming up for many of them was that I was the only female engineer they had met. And that just, that didn't make sense to me in my head. It makes sense on a global scale. I understand. Apparently we are few, but on a, like on a day-to-day -day basis, because in my phone book, I can call 50 female. It just didn't make sense to me. And I was like, oh, what a way to live. Perhaps I should introduce you to the rest of the interesting female engineers that, that exist. But then if you think about it in a resource-constrained environment, my time was limited. I have a day job. Um, my writing skills were limited to me just being a blogger on the internet where you don't have an editor. You just say what you want, how you want. Um, and my ability to come up with a publication was extremely limited because I don't have any design communications marketing background at all but then the thing that wasn't limited was that i knew um where people can get pictures and i know how to use google docs so it wasn't 
I didn't need to make like the nicest magazine that ever existed, but I needed to just come up with a tool that can help other people in my view expand their idea of what a female engineer looks like and what we actually do for a living. And I wish I did that earlier and not make the magazine earlier, but like believed in my ability to just do things earlier, even when those things wouldn't necessarily be perfect or like wonderful in the first try, because the doing of the thing is the success itself. It is the doing of the thing that makes you figure out how to, I guess, make it better or do it better. So that's the other choice that I, I don't know if that counts as a regret, but like that's one of the things I wish I did earlier. Just do the thing, do it earlier, and then figure it out. Yeah, completely relate with the with the just do it because that's how I started this podcast. I started it and I said it's imperfect. You guys are getting imperfection, but you're getting it <laughs> either way. So yeah, um, but also I I feel a lot of times that people uh, don't. There's a there's an inclination to say um, no regrets no I don't regret anything if I could change anything I wouldn't but for me like I've I've actually come to the realization that yeah there are some things that I would change if I could go back and do things differently so I'm I'm glad that you talked about that I'm also happy you brought Quingineers because that was my next Wonderful. thing <laughs> so when did you start Quingineers and um, how have you been able to expand it and what work do you do so. Hmm. So first, let's start by paying homage to the people who actually make engineers work at all, which is the few folks who actually go online and read it. Thank you very much. <laughs> In 2015, um, I joined the utility. So when I finished my World Bank contract, I joined KPLC in September. Um, and while I was at KPLC, I joined as something called a graduate trainee which I think, by the way, just general info for anyone who's interested in practicing engineering in Kenya, specifically in power systems, trainee programs are really useful. It's like the one-year internship for medics, really useful in helping you rotate through um, the different departments to try and get a feel of who does what where and maybe see what aligns with the kinds of things you're interested in. So I had a really swell time actually being a trainee because you don't you don't really like lead a project or manage a team. You're just there enjoying life, getting paid, learning things. It was wonderful. Um, and so during that time, I had spare time <laughs> because I was a trainee. I was learning. The projects are not so busy. So I had a day job, yeah. But um, one of the things that was at the time being very, I guess, common or whatever, was they were trying to increase the number of female engineers at Kenya Power itself because they had realized that the fractions or what is it, the proportions were not looking good. But that's just, by the way, globally and in most organizations. So in those attempts, um, I started getting a bit more curious about hmm, representation and why it matters. Like, if I don't see, if there's never been like a chief engineer in this company who's a babe, will I ever be a chief engineer? You know, like just those existential questions. And then it turned out, actually, it is true. They only had like maybe chief engineers or a general manager who was a woman uh, maybe once in the entire existence of KPLC. And then very recently, lucky for us, they had a GM and now a CEO who's female. So it wasn't very commonplace there. And because, you know, when you're young, you have all these delusions of grandeur and you're like, I mean, I'll come and rock up and change this place. And then I'll be that first female CEO. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I'm much older and wiser now. But at the time, that's where I was coming from. Um, and so I, I looked around and it seemed like, hmm, well, Okay, I guess representation matters in the sense for for me, it had never, 
I never felt like it had affected me, impacted me directly until I joined a utility and I was like, these guys are in charge of making decisions for 50 million Kenyans and there's no babes at the top. Like what? What What does that convey? You know? And so if you look back at the whole like cycle of how science is taught <laughs> and how physics is taught in girls' schools and then how that translates into how many people make the choice to even come and try and do engineering in university and how university is taught in public universities here. And then, and then beyond that, how after university education and that kind of, I guess, suffering while trying to acquire the degree, we branch off into like audit or just other things that are less punitive in physically, you know, than doing the engineering work, etc. The pipeline basically leaks from standard one in the in the context of like women transitioning into engineering careers and then staying there. Right. And so some of the things that have always mattered to me beyond just fixing things and tinkering is the idea of like sanitation. This might matter to you because you're a medic. Sanitation as a barrier for people accessing education and literacy as a barrier. Like people not having libraries and toilets for me is just criminal. But here we find ourselves in 2022. So because of that, um, that whole idea, I was trying to figure out like what what can I do that touches on these things with the resources that I have? Because I wasn't interested in setting up a nonprofit in like cajoling people to accompany me to things. No, I, I like to do things by myself because I'm not friendly. And so it was interesting. It felt like an interesting way for me to apply my writing. I like to write generally about Either people that inspire me, stories that um, are interesting to me, initiatives like yours, things that are happening. And so I'd already started doing that in 2015 when I won that blog thing. And I was like, eh, come people take my writing seriously. I should write. So I'd started writing as a blog. And then now when I started working in engineering, I was like, ah, I can write about the stuff I do in this way by exposing other people who do similar stuff. And so that's how it came up. We talked about it with a friend of mine called Marianne in 2015. At the time, she was running all these training programs for people to learn how to make things. They were called fellowships, Mekatilili fellowships, and they had electronics and microcontrollers. And she was teaching anyone, anywhere who was interested, how to code those things and like make them move, you know, mini robotics. And I was like, hey, do you want to document this stuff? And we do work a magazine. She was like, easy. Now, Marianne has the incredible gift of design as well. She's a mechanical engineer, but she has like an eye for color. She has cute natural hair. So she's got it going on in her life. And I was like, please just do the design work. Try and find us a tool we can use. So we actually use a free tool. It's not like it's not like a highly uh, technical to use. There's a free tool online. It's called Jumag. It comes with a template. You put pictures and words. It designs it into a magazine. You press publish. So it's actually not that like difficult to make. The challenge was to find the content for the magazine. Like, so who who is willing you know to send us a picture and like write a few sentences on a google doc a lot like <laughs> how you solicit people to come onto your podcast you're like hi are you comfortable you know having your picture on a magazine that will be on the internet forever so you know that kind of thing and so in 2016 we released the first publication edition it just had 10 profiles marian was looking cute it was nice it was color red and then thereafter we released that first one and the what is it called? Feedback, response, was very positive. People are like, wow, this is groundbreaking. This is the stuff. I was like, oh. So I suppose there's an interest in this kind of thing. And so whenever I find the time, we will make another publication. And so we've done three of them so far. It's profiled about 50 Kenyan engineers, I'd like to say. On the back pages, there's about 
50 more links of initiatives or institutions that do STEM-related work with a gender lens. So whether it's fellowships, scholarships, um, pages, blogs, podcasts, whatever. Um, and the main idea was to just provide a place where young girls, specifically teenagers, were who I was thinking about in creating the, the publication, would find interesting stories about people who look like them. Even if they have absolutely no plan of ever doing engineering, I think it's just worth them knowing that people like this exist. They're not unicorns. They're just folks. Um, and they do sometimes interesting work. And so it makes it easier for them to reach out in case they want to ask questions. Then we can put them in touch with whoever it is they wanted to ask questions. And so basically we just use it as a tool for mentorship, outreach. Now it's in libraries. It's in schools. It's pretty cool. I'm actually, yeah, that's the other achievement. I, I built a thing that helps people <laughs> sometimes. I love that. I've seen engineers before, so I was definitely going to ask about it. It's the same principle behind why I said the podcast, because I also just wanted people to hear the stories of people behind them so that when you're over there dying in med school, because you don't understand, I don't know, biochemistry, you know that there's somebody else who went through that and they made it. And it's so important to see people who look like you. It's so incredibly important. As somebody who has a daughter, it's become almost like a life and death thing. I desperately search for things that look like her, people who look like her so that she's able to see herself because I recognize it's important for me and it it changed a lot of the ways that I look for things. There are people out there looking like you. There are people who can do things like you. So even when I chose to do sciences, um, there's no really scientist in, in mm -hmm. my family as such. My, my parents are both humanities mm -hmm. people my, my mom is humanities, my, my dad is math, but, but you know, so that seeing people, even when I was struggling through physics, it's funny because you said you're going to do physics. I, I was good at physics until electricity. I don't know what happened. I'm telling you. It, if that's any consolation, I was shown. rubbish at biology <laughs> and I was not allowed to drop it. I was in a school that didn't allow us to drop biology as an option. And so I suffered with it for four years and it was the mm. subject of mine that was removed from my KCSE grades because it was poor. I, I, so it's it's not that odd <laughs> that you mentioned physics just because I really love physics and I'm just like, man, you don't know what you're missing, but you do you do know what you're missing and that's fine. <laughs> I, I do. We also are not allowed to drop physics, um, biology and chemistry, but I was good at biology and chemistry, loved them. In fact, I think like my biology KCSE was my favorite exam. I loved it so much. I had such a good time. In contrast, my physics exam, I remember sitting in that practical lab just wanting to cry. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> but you can imagine you at least had access oh to God. a lab, right? Like at least you had access. For you, it was it was just a matter of like, I don't enjoy this. I'm not having a good time. But at least you had access to the lab. I used to find it so bizarre. I still do that we do the same national exams here where we have labs and in many, many places that don't have electricity labs, pipettes, burettes, fire, like what is the point of <laughs> what is the the idea behind that and so that's one of the things again to answer your question the internet is a powerful tool for bringing information closer to people but it is certainly not a substitute for practical learning especially in cases like <laughs> engineering or computer science or software like you actually need to do the thing in a literal sense it's funny you brought that up about the exams because yesterday I was having a conversation. My mom is a teacher by profession. And so um, she's she's always looking at these things funny. So um, last week, this, this past week, I lost uh, a relative. I lost uh, an uncle of mine. 
and my cousin is actually in form four and he's doing his exams in April. And so my mom was talking about how it's so it's so absurd that to this day we use one exam, one exam that's standard in the country to to test people. So this person who has been doing well all throughout their studies has now mm-hmm. lost their father and then may or may not do well in their KCSE because that's 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 a huge deal to have. And that's just one person, you know, you're looking at kids who don't haven't been in school for I don't know how long the past couple of years this with COVID you're looking at people who even now that schools are open um have no access to schools or they don't have food or they don't have water you're looking at girls who are out of school because when they're on their period they can't go to school so and you're comparing that to, for example, me who grew up privileged in Nairobi and didn't, I mean, had struggles, but didn't really want for anything as such. You know, I went to a school that had everything, a good school, and at home I had everything that I needed. So, yeah, when, when you look at those things, now for me, when I look at them in terms of healthcare, I'm like, how are you expecting somebody to afford, I don't know, to go for like cancer tests when even medicine for diarrhea, they can't afford you know, so all these things are so intertwined. It's not even possible to just look at one sphere of life. I guess to your to your question or to your point of talking to someone who was just at the beginning of their electrical engineering career last week or who, whoever you interviewed. Um, and I guess talking to someone who's a little, just a little, I'm not that old. You said old in the beginning. I was like, no, I'm refusing. But like just a little ahead of the, just a little ahead um, in, the, in the path. And it's the... Um, why why do I do what I do the way I do it? Because I guess typically people would assume an engineering degree means that I like to tinker or, you know, I fix devices or machines or things like that. And there's space for people to do that. But personally, my, incl- my inclination is to fix the systems that, you know, allow tinkerers to thrive, right? And if you think about it in the context of public health, then it's it's kind of the difference between being a clinician and a public health practitioner. I'm a public health practitioner for the energy sector because the tenets are actually exactly the same. Equitable access, the quality of service people get, and how do people access those services without going into bankruptcy? It's, it's exactly the same. So it's just that in my mind electricity is a is a basic need in most other people's minds electricity is a nice to have for me it's just a basic need <laughs> and so the same approach that people would take with health or education or sanitation or you know water is the same approach mentally i would take with why i think it's so crucial for us to figure out a way to build resilience for a variety of reasons, whether it's against pandemics or climate change or whatever, through providing energy services. So it's, it's just kind of the same. Yeah, um, I think you made the perfect comparison. So for what what you do is the same thing that I, I have an intuition for fixing systems. So for me, it's um, how am I going to be, how is a doctor in Isiolo where I did my internship going to have good outcomes compared to a doctor in Nairobi who works in a private hospital when the doctor in Isiolo doesn't even have saline mm-hmm. and the doctor over here can send samples to India, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a, such an iniquity that the outcomes are going to be completely different. And yet most of the people actually fall in that category where they are not able to afford mm-hmm. things. So this system needs fixing. It, we can't go on to live in a system that 
provides that 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 keeps impoverishing poor people and enriching rich people which is what we have seen happen especially like during this pandemic where it's like the inequities are just getting worse and then somehow we think that society is going to be fixed the math is in nothing you <laughs> you're know. right so it doesn't right. i guess I guess and this is perhaps something you touched on or I had in one of your previous podcasts. It's, it's that idea for when we quantify the things that were taken away <laughs> from us during, you know, colonialism, besides just our right to move freely, we often underestimate how much self-confidence was taken away from us because whenever people talk about fixing systems we always assume like an outsider will come and fix it (laughs) we always assume there's like a way for it to be fixed externally right and so even when you speak to many young professionals in kenya like yeah we are aware that the public service could work more efficiently we are aware of that we are aware that you know the private sector needs to be enabled to thrive barring graft and other interesting ease of doing business considerations because in kenya we use language to mask (laughs) dishonesty but beyond that it's just that idea that i think the most effective after effect of colonialism and the education system that we retained thereafter was and teaching us (laughs) and teaching us the idea that we too can solve problems (laughs) so it's it's almost like a battle against the norm to suggest things or to come up with ideas because we are basically existing on a vibration of how we'll just be helped or someone should help us. I don't know who someone is. And so there's a there's a little bit of that where you have extremely talented people just not getting enough access, you know, to the tools and resources that they need to make a difference. But in certain cases, even with the access, just not having enough, you know, courage to then put forth an idea that may be good or bad, but like put forth an idea that might save us all from the current situation, if at all. Yeah, I think also part of it is just a border high mentality. That's, I think, one of the worst effects of that is the idea that not only are we waiting for someone else to come, but also, see, we're surviving. See, we're okay. <laughs> see, we're good. See, we're, as in, we're, we're barely surviving, but it's like, as long as you're alive, you know, it's okay. We 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 almost, it's like a default to accept bare minimum and wait for salvation from outside. And then when somebody has the audacity to come and be like, guys, we can solve this, we're like, how dare you? <laughs> You know, it's just it's a bit shocking. Um, but I, I do think a lot of it has to do with the past. You can't ignore how the past does like has a has a, has an impact on how we behave as a society in Kenya to this day. And in a lot of African countries who suffered colonialism and, and are still to this day suffering the effects of uh, those powers that be. Let me not even get there. <laughs> um but <laughs> Um, bring this train back on track. See what I did there. I, I, I heard you. I see you there. Um, <laughs> I'm queen of limbs. But um, what have been um, in your career path, some of the challenges that you've experienced um, personally in, uh, and uh, in the career space as a, as a woman, you mentioned, this is something that happens a lot with engineers because for some reason, this podcast has a lot of engineers <laughs> and I love it. Um, but what what have you faced, even though it's been talked about in, in other episodes? Let's start with mansplaining. So <laughs> um, I, I often introduce myself as Wakoli. And so even in my written work, um, I would likely maybe like write something and 
you know, authored by M. Wakoli. It's it's very gender neutral. You can't really know. Wakoli is, is my dad's name, yeah? So you can't really know. And it's I, I find it particularly entertaining um, for the most part, the reaction that you get when people realize, oh, it's a babe, <laughs> you know, like, I, yikes. And so it's overt and covert. It, it depends. And so in certain instances where it is, let's say, a room full of professionals who are trying to be better but failing, um, you will often realize that for most things that are considered technical, typically, the panels will be all male they will just be all male. And then what you'll have is an all-female section of that engineering conference talking about women's matters, whatever that means. So there's there's that kind of... Um, and I think in their minds, they're like, yeah, now we are, we are being he for she. And I'm like, but women can also talk about refrigerants and spare parts. As in, it's, it's interesting the, the understanding, I guess, of of inclusivity because again as you said we don't exist outside of our environment not just as female engineers even as people in general we don't exist in a utopia so the things that generally impact society impact us as well just plus the fact that we are in we are in engineering and so if you think about it in terms of i don't know how it is in in medical professions but sometimes in engineering when you have to work a really really long day and i don't mean work at a desk i mean trying to fix a train outside in the middle of you know a place where there's an accident and i happen to be on my period it means that day i'm double padding and if i'm lucky will not get a uti you know that any those kinds of things because there's no there wasn't any obvious expectation that yeah it is possible someone can be menstruating and leading a team of technicians it it wasn't really like a thing that was being thought of or in the sense of even work that involves going up power lines or power poles or whatnot i don't do a lot of that but i do believe there's quite a few electrical technicians who are female who do that kind of work and maybe you're cramping but no you won't not go to work you have to go to work you know so there's that kind of aspect there's the aspect of being talked down to but a bit of that could be tied to ageism not necessarily my gender it's just the idea the idea that i am too young to know what i am talking about um or the impression that that gives and i don't even consider myself young but it's that idea that you walk into a room and people expect surely someone who is providing expertise on policy needs to be a little older than this right and so it's that combination of oh it's a woman from africa that age hmm you know, there's there's a, a layering of expectation, but a lot of it is not covered. It's not in your face. You notice it from the kinds of questions that you will get. You will notice it from the kind of reaction that people get when you introduce yourself after they have read you. If your work precedes you, then you are really in for a rough ride because, <laughs> because then people expect this huge persona and then I show up in a t-shirt and my matutas. And so it's... um. For me, it's a very pleasant experience to be the unexpected in that sense, but it is also a very isolating experience for the most part to be the only, the first. They were, it's, it's just unpleasant and not cool. It's, it's not something I would advocate for anyone. There's, ma there's many, many more women now coming into the space, if, if I have to say. So it's diluting a little bit of the blandness i guess of having unidimensional contributions because people of a same group the group can be gender age whatever of a same group tend to gravitate towards the same kind of thinking and diversity is just helpful in kind of broadening that expanding that 
that breadth of knowledge. But beyond that, the isolation is also just not cool. It's it's not cool. And so if you think about how people do upward movement, upward mobility in careers by networking in the evening, I don't want to go catch drinks with the Jamas. I, do, I don't want, I don't even want to go catch drinks with babes to, to begin with, but much less with Jamas. And so it's it's just it it means in a way you curtail your own progress in 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 a way it's not spoken those are not the HR rules but you do know that people are likely to think of you if you are you know top of mind if I'm always saying no to all the out of work engagement things it means in a way I have accepted that I'm also just curtailing my own progress in a particular way. I don't know if that makes sense. So I guess that would be some of the challenges. Sanitation sanitation could be much better everywhere in the world, everywhere, I, everywhere. Like even in offices that think, oh, they're so advanced or even in institutions that think they're so advanced, you're just like, ah, you're advanced because you have a beam for sanitary towels. Wonderful. But you still did not think of accessibility for people who have to use a wheelchair, <laughs> you know, to you. So sanitation, broadly speaking, is a challenge in most workplaces in Kenya, not just in engineering. And then beyond that, now the other regular things that happen in society broadly, just couple that with the fact that I work as an engineer. Sally had actually talked about the same thing um, when she was talking about long days in the field and how that can affect you. A lot of places, people don't think that there might be people menstruating. How do we you know, make it easier for them? And those things matter. Also, I related with you saying how you just don't uh, to go out for drinks because I'm I'm that person. I just I just don't don't want to go. Doesn't could be men, could be women. I just don't want you know. I'm interested in knowing um, what number one the future of energy looks like for you. Ideally, if you could if you could invent your own future reality, and then what the future looks like for you as a person um, because your introduction was interesting. So I'd really like to know what your ending looks like. So in an, I guess in an ideal world, and I don't even think of this as dystopian. I just feel like we need to put a little bit more effort and we'll get to my ideal world. It's not so crazy. Um, and I'm thinking about it in the context of Kenya and other African countries broadly. As it stands today, our energy systems are really centralized and mostly like in urban and peri-urban areas. But because of like the realities of today, how population is spread, but also um, climate change, how people now have to migrate because of hunger, locusts, the water is in their homesteads, etc. I think the idea of building resilience around infrastructure in general compels us to decentralize infrastructure. <laughs> and so that compulsion to decentralize, I guess, answers the question for, so what would an energy system of the future look like? It would be an energy system that is close to the people who it serves and can be operated and maintained by the people who it serves, right? So almost a little bit like if you had the capability to fix your own smartphone, right? Um, and that we didn't have to rely on Apple sending you products from wherever in Silicon Valley they're based because at the moment, even infrastructurally, we are a net importing country. So that means like our transformers are maybe mostly not made here. Our poles, maybe they're from trees here, but I'm sure we bought the saplings somewhere, the conductors, etc. And for a system to be, as you said, equitable <laughs> and not too expensive, we need to figure out a way to do it sustainably using the materials that we have, but also using the labor force that we have. So that would be like my ideal 
sort of like energy future for especially especially on this continent because the infrastructure deficit in energy impacts women 90% more than it does men you waste more time cooking you waste more time washing clothes with your hand. you we just waste we we are here wasting time and so just as a as a function of like dignifying people and freeing up their time to rest or to do whatever else they actually wanted to do i think i'm i'm really hoping that i can make even a tiny contribution towards towards making decentralized systems functional but also safe what does the future look like for me <laughs> is often a question i find very hard to answer because as i led by saying i've had six jobs in in seven years so it it just depends on what the new curiosity will be i suppose at the time i am almost certainly going to stay in the energy sector i i love this work <laughs> to a, to a point that is almost neurotic i love it because i think it has so much space to be so life changing <laughs> life changing for people i care about but beyond that i hope I have I haven't done this in a long time but I hope I I attend more live concerts this is because of the coronas not because I'm busy at work covid has really like impacted my enjoyment of live music which I really enjoy I like being outside with music not with people just with the music me and outside and music and trees um I miss that I hope I get more chance to travel the world and understand how other people live with absolutely no expectations or whatever just go travel eat things and come back um I'm looking forward to you know maybe discovering new authors because I like to read fiction specifically not self help um and i'm hoping to make more adult friendships as i grow older adult friendships are really bomb especially with women can i just say let me just include this here adult friendships are the truth and i've had i've been lucky i guess to have like adult friendships because my sister is like my best she's she's really funny and intelligent but also unfair because it means because i have my sister i'm not trying with other people but i should i should because people are expansive and interesting as women are expansive and interesting and i'm just curious about how to grow that more in an attempt to broaden i guess my knowledge and my thinking and challenge a few of my own beliefs so I guess yeah I don't know what my career will look like in future I cannot say but I do know that my life will be enjoyable and plentiful and hopefully of some service to the community that I owe so much to my my entire community the country that raised me the people that educated me etc I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Akoli as much as I did I really had such a good time speaking with her I say that about every guest and I really do mean it um I, I just felt she was such a breath of fresh air and like her disposition and her attitude was just just such such good vibes yeah so thank you so much for listening thank you to everybody who's filled in the contact form if you haven't filled it in and would like to be featured i always leave it in the show notes or if you know someone who might be interested you can just forward it to them we want to hear your stories we want to marvel at your achievements and sharing your journeys also remember to follow the podcast on social media which is at stem from africa on twitter and at stemming from africa on instagram we love to hear from you i hope you guys all have a wonderful weekend and see you next week that will be all for this episode of stemming from africa i hope you have a great weekend and i hope to see and hear from you next friday